0: Welcome to Highlands Church Audio Sermons. Today, June 6th, 2021, we continue our series titled, Uncommon Joy, The Book of Philippians. Today's sermon, Let Your Gentleness Be Known, will be taught to us by Pastor Jeff Stevens out of Philippians chapter four, verses four through nine. Enjoy. Wouldn't it be great to have a peace-filled joy in the most difficult of all circumstances. Today probably is one of those messages uh, that is, uh, I hope, incredibly practical in that there'll be no question in your mind when you leave here um, how to avoid a life of anxiety, a life of worry, but to have a peace-filled life. And I hope in God's kindness that that's what we see. Turn with me, if you would, to Philippians 4. Verses 4 through 9. Paul here starts by saying, Rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I will say, Rejoice. Let your reasonableness be known to everyone. The Lord is at hand. Do not be anxious about anything, but in everything by prayer and supplication. With thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God and the peace of God which surpasses all understanding, will guard your heart and your minds in Christ Jesus. Finally, brothers, whatever is true, whatever is honorable, whatever is just, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is commendable, if there is any excellence, if there is anything worthy of praise, think about these things. What you have learned and received and heard and seen in me, practice these things. And the God of peace will be with you. Our Father and our God, Lord, we thank you for these incredibly practical words. But I pray, Lord, that your spirit would work in our hearts today, Lord, to help us to just see it. To not only see it, but to know it and to apply it to our every circumstance. Lord, we pray now that by your Holy Spirit, you would fill us with grace and peace And that, Lord, we would grow in a greater and greater understanding of your son. It's in Christ's name we pray. Amen. I think if I were to say that the world has a bit of an anxiety problem would probably be an understatement. Especially coming off of COVID. The stats that I'm about to give you are actually stats that came before COVID. Before COVID our politicians, before our world decided to turn things extremely upside down. But 40 million adults are affected each year with severe anxiety and depression. 17.3 million adults had at least one major depressive episode. That's per year. one in 20 children suffer from anxiety and depression each year. In fact, since 2015 to 2019, we've seen a 15% jump in anxiety and the distribution of antidepressants. While teens ages 13 to 19 have increased by 38%. This increase affects both boys and girls but roughly twice as much to young ladies. To say again that we have an anxiety problem in our society is an understatement. You'll see that as the further our culture, our government, our everyone removes God from the schools, from life, and we get further and further away from the gospel of Jesus Christ, anxiety will in fact continue to grow disproportionate. I think about anxiety, I think about the difficulties of it. As the counseling pastor here, I encounter it every day. It's wonder to me that what we find ourselves thinking about that leads to anxiety. How can we take things in life that are so good, so pleasurable, so wonderful, and turn them into something that is filled with anxiety and difficulty? This week I've been uh, uh, enjoying, actually, a lot of peace and quiet because uh, all the kids are gone and my wife is at uh, camp with the junior hires on her way back. But I think about my wife. I think about my children. I don't know about you, but at times I think so much about them that I worry for them. I worry that my wife is on a bus for eight hours with junior high girls. My wife is such a sweet soul, such a kind and tender-hearted person, but her love for Christ compels her to share the gospel with these young ladies, to pour her life into them. As I watched the video of her going down that steep slide knowing that she has bulging discs in her neck, I thought to myself, she's out of her mind. (laughs) But it is for Christ and for the gospel. I can say, at a minimum, my wife oftentimes is my muse. She's what I like to think about. My children as well. So where does it cross over? Where does my thinking and dwelling on them become sinful? Paul, of course, in Romans 14, says that anything not done in faith is sin. The moment that I turn my family into family-olatry, when they become my idol, when they become the most important thing, even more important than God at that one particular moment, it has crossed over into a moment of sin. And that goes for all aspects of life. Maybe it's your job, your retirement account, or whatever it is that you're thinking and you're dwelling upon. That new shiny car can quickly become an idol. But Jill and my kids are oftentimes my muse And that brings about, when they become such a thought, worry and anxiety. Because I'm not there to protect her. I'm not there with my kids at all times. I don't know about you, but sometimes I look at my daughters, I've been blessed with four lovely young ladies, but at times I look at them and I say, I don't know that you actually know Christ. Maybe you just know the God of your father, but have no God of your own. I worry for their salvation. I worry whether or not they will come to a place of saving grace. I've gone through those seasons of life where I've watched my young children say that they believe in Jesus, even be baptized, and then to watch them live a life that is completely void of the gospel of Jesus Christ. And it fills me with anxiety. It fills me with worry. And the reason is because I have no control. Paul says here in Philippians 4, Rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I'll say rejoice. How do you rejoice over that moment? Worried that they will not come to a place of saving grace. Worried that your wife is disc is bulging worried that she's being tormented by seventh grade girls cuz you're not there to protect her but paul goes on to say let your reasonableness be known to everyone the lord is at hand he's present Do not be anxious about anything, but in everything, by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. And therefore, the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. Let me say something. Let me set the record clear on prayer. We don't pray so we can experience the higher work of God. Prayer, brothers and sisters, is the higher work of God. The fact that God is working within you and would humble you to fall to your knees to lay prostrate before him and to say, Lord, I am dependent upon you. Prayer is the ultimate act of utter dependence upon a holy and a sovereign God. What he responds with will be your contentment or discontentment. Our trust needs to be in him. We think of prayer as some sort of common sense exercise. An exercise of maybe our power, a wish list. And we think that the prayer is maybe preparing me for the greater work. It's wrong thinking. Our thoughts need to be upon the prayer that I'm coming to him, that I'm depending upon him and that his will would in fact be done. But it is this prayer that is the redemption of Christ working in me which produces the miracle of redemption in others and it all comes through the power of God. You see, that's the gospel. For I'm not ashamed of the gospel, for it is the power of God even unto salvation. But Paul says here, rejoice always. Let your reasonableness be known to everyone. To not be anxious about anything. And in everything by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving. You see that thanksgiving, that prayer, that's the recognition of point one. That the peace of God that is in me is divine contentment. To be divinely content. To be so sold out on Christ that I'm content no matter what my circumstance, no matter what my difficulty might be. Paul later in Philippians four is gonna say this. He's gonna say, not that I'm speaking of being in need, for I have learned in whatever situation I am to be content. I know how to be brought low and I know how to abound. In any and every circumstance, I have learned the secret of facing plenty and hunger, abundance and need. And I can do all things through him who strengthens me. We start to realize that while Paul's saying don't be anxious about anything, he is really saying be fearless about everything. It doesn't matter what your enemies. it doesn't matter what the opponent's, it doesn't matter what Satan's doing, you can go headstrong into it with fearlessness because your God is in you. And what it produces through that prayer and supplication and thanksgiving And making your requests known to God. Because no matter what the requests are, I am divinely content because of what that results in. What does it result in? The peace that surpasses all understanding guards my heart and my mind. So what does it mean in Christ Jesus The heart and mind alone, by themselves, cannot and will not protect you. There is no power of positive thinking. There is only Christ Jesus. I can't wish my way into a better circumstance, I can't pretend that bad things happen. I have to surround my mind with the truth of God and I lay prostrate before him and I say, Lord, your will be done. Because I know that is the best plan. If I had the power of God, brothers and sisters, I would change everything. But with the wisdom of God, I would change not a thing. Everything in this world is happening because of God. God is fully aware of all things. But He says in our mind, in Christ Jesus. Just reminding you, when He uses that word, in Christ Jesus, the thinking on that is not what He's done and is not what we should do, but what He's done. It's by means of Christ Jesus. I don't stand before him or kneel before him on my own power, but I kneel and pray before him because of the power of God that is within me, the peace of God that surpasses all understanding. And when I get to that place that I know that the peace of God has worked in me, it builds to point two, which is the God of peace is divine presence. Not only is it to be divinely content with what God provides in the circumstances of my life, but it is to recognize that God is divinely present. Paul says it this way in Philippians 4 8 and 9. He says, Finally, brothers, whatever is true, whatever is honorable, whatever is just, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is commendable, if there's any excellence, if there's anything worthy of praise, what are you to do? Think about these things. Verse nine, what you have learned, what you have received, what you have seen, what you have heard, practice these things. And the God of peace will be with you. You see, when you think about these things, truth, honor, justice, purity, loveliness, commendability, excellence, and things worthy of praise, that is the presence of God in the goodness of God. And therefore, because of the presence of God, we learn, we receive, we hear, and we see. And when you've learned and you've received, and when you've heard and you see, Practice these things. You see, we go from verse seven, where it says, and the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, to verse nine, which bookends it, to the God of peace will be with you. You see, it's the presence of God, it's the peace of God that will surpass all understanding and guard your heart and mind, and it will be validated by the God of peace that is with you. So when the peace of God reigns through the means of Christ, it will validate the presence of God. As it says in verse nine, the God of peace will, not is aspiring to be, is coming really fast, will be with you. But Paul uses these additional four verbs for us to understand how to practically apply this. Learn, receive, hear, and see. Paul is taking us to the practice of these things. How do I put this into motion? How do I practice these things? So that the God of peace is with me. One of the things about that phrase is that it appears to be a conditional statement. That if I do this, then this will result. If I do this, this is the effect. It appears to be conditional. Illustratively, I'm going to show you in a minute that it's not. It's likened to um, a phrase that we get in John 14 when he says, whoever has my commandments and keeps them. That appears to be conditional, right? If I have the commandments and I keep them, the commandments, he it is who loves me and he who loves me will be my lo- be loved by my father, and I will love him and manifest myself to him. You see, the practice of these things validates a faith. It's not saying that if you do this, then this will take place. What it's saying is that the reason why you did what you did is because that is what is present. If you didn't have the presence of God, then you would never do that. It validates a faith that is produced by the peace of God, not by you. The peace of God, which surpasses all understanding. And we have peace in his presence, which produces the practice of these things, which validates that the God of peace is actually in me. So what effect do these four verbs have on my life, to learn, to receive, to hear, and to see? You see, all of them come from an outside source. They don't come from me. I think illustratively at times, have you ever tried to put a jump rope under your feet and lift yourself off the ground? There's nothing outside of you to leverage it off of, so it's not gonna happen. So the peace of God within us has to become the leveraging tool. You see, Christianity is not something that we create or pull ourselves up with. But it is in fact something you learn, you receive, you hear, and you see in someone else. It doesn't come from within me. It comes from out of me and then dwells in me. The Apostle Paul is not inventing the four steps of highly effective Christian followers. But when we look at learned and received, know that it means to be passed down or to be granted. I learn that which has been passed down or I receive that which has been granted. Pastor Bob will speak on this next week so I won't go too far into it, but in Philippians 4.12, right, he says, I know how to be brought low, I know how to abound. In any and every circumstance, I have what? learned I've learned the secret of facing plenty and hunger and abundance and need and I can do all things through him who strengthens me I of course like the meme that says I can do all things through him on a scripture verse that is taken grossly out of context Paul is saying I know and how do I know I know because I've experienced it I've learned it I've learned as I learned by what I have seen in me, Paul says in verse nine. It's something that is in fact handed down from person to person. It's why the church has a discipleship program. It's critical for us to hand down from person to person that which I have learned, that which I have received, so that the other person can hear and see the validation of God within me by practicing his presence. But when we look at received, 1 Corinthians 15, one through three says, now I, remind, I would remind you, brothers, of the gospel I preached to you, which you received, in which you stand, and by which you are being saved. So it was something given to them. If you hold fast to the word I preached to you, unless you believed in vain, For I delivered to you as of first importance what I also received, person to person. And that is that Christ died for our sins in accordance with the scriptures. But let's look at it through a different angle. It's important that we understand the truth about what is being handed down from person to person. Because here's what Paul says in Galatians 1, 11 and 12. For I would have you know, brothers, that the gospel that was preached by me is not man's gospel. It's something that has been received. Watch this. For I did not receive it from any man, nor was I taught it, but I received it through the revelation of Jesus Christ. Learned from experience, received from God. It was granted to me. And we look at heard and seen. What comes to mind here is both personal and immediate. Not only do I hear and see in person, but I also hear and see in an immediate communication. Paul says in Philippians 1, 29, going back in our text, it says, for it has been granted, in other words, I received to you that for the sake of Christ, you should not only believe in that which you've received in him, but also suffer for his sake. And he says, engaged in the same conflict that you saw and I had and now hear that I still have. So we're growing Paul's not arrived. We've not arrived. Paul's revealing more and more to us. Your brothers and sisters on your left and right are revealing more and more. But he says, practice what you have seen and heard, and through what you have witnessed in my suffering for his sake is what he's saying. Now, you remember Pastor Bob spoke a couple weeks ago about this in Philippians 3, 17 through 19, when Paul says, brothers, join in imitating me and keep your eyes on those who walk according to the example you have in us. He warns them, he says, for many of whom I have often told you uh, and now tell you, even with tears, walk as enemies of the cross of Christ. Where they're making their decisions not upon truth, not upon honor, but they're making their decisions because their end is their destruction, their God is their belly, their emotions, and they glory in their shame with minds set on earthly things. Our citizenship is in heaven, and we're to be kingdom focused. Bob spoke about imitating Paul, not with minds that are thinking or set on earthly things. But we are to shape our thinking and practice by Paul's teaching in an example. And by that, the peace of God in you takes all of these beautiful things and allows them to dwell in your mind. Because the God of peace is with you, He's present. But see, step one of this thinking, step one of this process, Paul starts with finally, brothers. Whatever is true, we have to get out of listening to the false heads of the world. We cannot watch Fox or CNN and gain truth. It is the word of God that is true. It is Jesus Christ who said, for this reason I was born, for this reason I came into this world, to testify to the truth. If there's going to be a reformation in this country, in this world, brothers and sisters, it will come through the gospel of Jesus Christ. The only way we can heal the anxiety and the growing anxiety in this society is not simply a drug, but is in fact the person of Jesus Christ. When we place our faith in him, when we depend upon him, all of the complexities of this world fall into place. I no longer have to decide that I, I don't even want to have a discussion about what is woke or what is not. I want to talk about the beauty and the loveliness of Jesus Christ who set me free from the bondage of that sinful world. But there's this gap, this knowing and doing gap How do we bridge this gap? Well, the only way to bridge the gap is the gospel. Because the gap is in fact the holiness of God and my wickedness. And I need the cross to bridge that gap. I'm so tired of knowing and doing arguments. It's frustrating. If I go to the doctor one more time so that they can look at me, oh, I've looked at everything, your test results, and you're overweight, really? (laughs) Oh my gosh, I did not see that coming. You know, Jeff, you just need to exercise and eat better. Duh. I know what it is, but I don't do what it is. Why? Can you explain that to me? Well, that's not my field of expertise. You see, point three, divine contentment and divine presence are at war with your earthly desires. There's a war going on inside of us. And this war is incredibly difficult. Paul says it this way in Romans seven, for I know that nothing good dwells in me. Think on that truth. There's nothing good that dwells in me. That is in my flesh. For I have the desire to do what is right, but not the ability to carry it out. For I do not do the good I want, but the evil I do not want is what I keep on doing. Let me put it this way, or the way that Luke put it in Luke 6.45. He says this, the good person, out of the good treasure of his heart, produces good. And the evil person, out of his evil out of his evil treasure produces evil for out of the abundance of the heart his mouth speaks so from the very core of our being comes out of us a behavior a behavior that is either submitting and surrendering to the presence and the contentment of God or a pursuit of our fleshly desires let's look at how it works right When we look at the motivation of mankind, in the left margin, you see a sin nature. And in the right margin, a supernatural nature provided by the Holy Spirit. Here's the crux of our battle. The left margin is filled with heart idolatry. In fact, I find more and more things to worship beside God every single moment of my life. Sometimes I muse on my family and my kids thanking on them to the point that it becomes idolatrous. Sometimes I'm even worried about what they'll do, will it affect my reputation? That's the idol of reputation. Because my heart in its fleshly desire is fixed on autonomy and individualism. Whereas my heart that came as a result of God in me is a heart for Christ and his glory. Which can only come with self sacrifice. Treating others as better than me. Sacrificing my desires for God's and following Him. You see, in the left margin, God spoke about this from the very beginning in Genesis 6 5. The Lord saw that the wickedness of man was great in the earth, and that every intention of the thoughts, how he thinks, of his heart, was only evil continually. Man, he leaves no wiggle room for plausible deniability there. Every thought from the core of my being, not someone else's, is evil continually. But let's look at what the gospel does. On the right margin, Galatians 2.20, I have been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. And the life I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. Praise God. But that's at war. And as that works its way up, before it comes out as a behavior, it goes to decision making. I have to make a choice. I have to make a comment. I have to respond somehow to what's going on. Well, if I'm acting in my fleshly desires in the left margin, and you're confronting me about sin, I'm going to minimize it. I'm going to blame it on something else. I'm going to defend my position. I'm going to hide. I'm going to fake. I'm going to exaggerate. Because I don't want to take personal responsibility. Because at the core of my being, I'm an orphan in this fleshly desire rather than a son of the most high God. We start to realize that this sin minimization, this orphan thinking versus the Holy Spirit that dwells in me knows that I can turn to God's word because his word tells me what the right answer is and that I am in fact a child of the most high God and I should never forget it. I should be thinking on that truth day in and day out. But see, when I act upon the left margin, Proverbs, the wisdom of Proverbs says in 25, 28 says, a man without self-control, so a man without the fruit of the spirit, is like a city broken into and left without walls. In fact, there's no boundaries. I can do anything I want. Through all that I'm strengthened by, not God, me. My self-autonomy, my heart idolatry, my sin minimization, my orphan thinking, but in the war on the other side, in the right margin. Romans twelve two, do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewal of what? Your mind. And that by testing, these tests that keep coming, you may discern through your mind what is the will of God and what is good and acceptable and perfect. All by how you think. All by what you trust in that which is true. It ultimately manifests into a behavior. You see in the left margin, that natural inclination, that sin nature you were conceived in and you were born with produces a mindset of legalism or license. And it produces a self-righteous individual. Nothing more difficult than to counsel a person who suffers from legalism. How do you convince them that everything that you're doing in rules and compliance and obedience is not honorable but is in fact sinful? Well, when their idol is the thing that produced it, it's not in faith, so it's in them, therefore it is sin. Musing on my wife and my kids, nothing wrong with that unless, of course, they become my idol and they influence how I think or what I do. For it's God's word in his presence alone. Whereas the supernatural inclination becomes this. It produces the gospel in me. Where my life becomes centered on the gospel and that it's all about Jesus Christ and it's him who bridges the gap between his holiness and my unrighteous wicked desires. Still not me pulling myself up by the rope under my feet but the peace of God that surpasses all understanding within me. It produces the fruit of the spirit, not the fruit of Jeff. You see, the left margin is saying this. Paul said, for being ignorant of the righteousness of God, the perfection of God, and seeking to establish their own self-righteousness, they did not submit to God's righteousness. And the right margin... It says, but the fruit of the spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Against such things there is no law. The fruit is not you. The fruit is the spirit. And it is evidence that validates the presence of God within you. So where do you go when anxiety sets in? Do you draw near to your heavenly father as a child of God? Or do you withdraw from God and even people? Love God, love people. Unless I'm anxious, I hide myself in seclusion. Are you content with where God has you? Or do you feel entitled to more? Are you an orphan? Do you think that God is looking at you right now with disgust and his arms crossed? Brothers and sisters, if Jesus were standing here, there would be no ability to contain him, to come after you, to hug you, to embrace you, to love you. Brothers and sisters, Jesus Christ not only loves you, he likes you. He wants to be intimate with you. He wants to hug you and hold you. And he knows that you stand before him as holy and blameless, not because of anything you've done or will do, but because of who he is. And that is the peace of God that surpasses all understanding. Think on those things. As I bring, start to bring the band back up, You're a child of the most high God. Your orphan thoughts are this, I don't feel connected to God in this daily life. The child of God feels connected to God throughout every day. The orphan is anxious about friends, family, and money. The child of God feels free from worry because of who God is. The orphan feels no one cares about them. The child of God feels forgiven and totally accepted. The orphan lives on a success fail basis, while the child of God trusts in God's plan for their life, no matter how bumpy it gets. The orphan is not very teachable. The child of God is. The orphan tends to compare their life to others and robs themselves of all joy. While the child of God is content with what God has given them, the orphan is motivated by their position in life, their stature, their status, or maybe even by their possessions. But the child of God is secure in who and where God has them at each moment. You are a child of the Most High God. Do we not know his faithfulness? He's never failed. Whatever is true, whatever is honorable, whatever is just, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is commendable, if there's any excellence, if there's anything worthy of praise, think about these. Think about Christ, for Christ is our muse. We should think about nothing else. Because when we're right with God, all other relationships take care of themselves. May we glorify Him by thinking of Him and practicing all that we have learned, all that we have received, all that we have seen, and all that we have heard. Amen. Brothers and sisters, if you find yourself... Riddled and filled with anxiety. Would you come meet with me or one of the other pastors and let us help you to see the beauty and the loveliness of Christ? To be set free, to fully trust and depend upon Christ. He moves mountains, and He will move yours you will trust and depend upon him. Our Father and our God, bless us and keep us. I pray that your light would ever shine upon us. That Lord, that every moment of our life, we would experience through contentment your presence that surpasses all understanding. And that we would validate that it is you working in us. Because you, God, are with us. Help us, Lord, in all things and in all ways to grow in this grace and to grow in greater and greater understanding of your Son and all that he has done for us. May we think on these things. In Christ's name, amen. Love you guys. We'll see you next week. Minister to one another.